The Bomber Command Tribute Bomber Command, World War II 55,573 people who gave their lives in a war of attrition with no thought of submission. Night after night, operation after operation, taking the fight to the enemy without hesitation. With just under 50% losses, they fought and perished for our nation. Hitting many targets, reaching Berlin too, in the roar, bringing down dams and seeing their missions through. Giving back to Nazism what it had meted out to so many others. The saddest part, the loss of so many fine flying brothers. Flak, Akak and night fighters, they had to endure it all. The loss of aircraft and limbs, terrible burns and much more. Immeasurable sacrifices and bravery beyond belief. Giving more than their country asked, the courage never ceased. Wellingtons, Stirlings, Halifaxes and Lancasters went, diligently on ops to wherever they were sent. With their American allies, day and night, up to 1,000 strong. In the end, good would prevail and triumph over what was wrong. So many crews lost, we should remember them all. The list is endless, so only one I will now recall. PB304 with its crew of seven, lost on the 30th of July, 44. Now, with different wings, they fly in heaven. The Salford Lancaster, as it became known, came down the banks of the Irwell. Its legend has grown. The boys that lost their lives that day shall not grow old, as long as we make sure their story is continually told. They completed their missions, so let's make this one ours, to remember them and all lost in Bomber Command through their motto, Per Ardu Ad Astra, through adversity to the stars. The Bomber Command Tribute I'm Sonia Morton Firth and you're watching the Sonia Morton Firth Show. Today my guest is Gary Britson Daly, an historian, author and poet. He's just launched the second edition of his book, The Last Heroes. This interview highlights why it is so important for us not to forget. Gary, first of all, it's such a pleasure having you on my show and having you as a guest. And I bet this is a bit of a change for you because you're normally on the other side. I certainly am. And uh, yeah, it's quite interesting. I'm normally going around the United Kingdom with camera equipment and the photography gear and going into veterans' homes and, uh, and all of the manner of venue you can imagine, setting up my equipment and doing the interview, and now here I am for the first time being interviewed by your good self, yeah. And it's, you. it's, it's so lovely having you on the show, Gary, and I'm actually really excited about this interview. Um, oh. And I know there's lots that we want to discuss, but I think... The first thing that was really burning, um, a question that really came to me when we first spoke um, and I heard about your mission and what you've done, what I really wanted to understand is where your inspiration and passion came from. Um, um, 
from interviewing, you know, World War II veterans? Right. Well, um, I was very fortunate um, for many years, actually for nearly 20 years, to be involved in high-end travel and tourism. Um, so I used to work for travel companies um, half the year on, on every conceivable kind of uh, tour you can imagine, overland tours, resort-based operations. As a tour manager, I was doing specialist sports activity holidays, historical tours, um, you name it, all over the world in over 70 countries I've done so far. Um, and whilst doing some of the historical tours, I was very fortunate because I have a real passion for history in general anyway, especially that of World War II, but generically all of history. And when we did tours in certain places, such as um, all five of the Normandy D-Day landing beaches, for example, in France, um, the El Alamein battlefield in, in North Africa, in Egypt, uh, and when I was very fortunate to be working on the famous QE2, and we were in Hawaii, and I did the Pearl Harbor tour at Pearl Harbor as well. Um, I started to meet a lot of World War II veterans from all sorts of you know, countries and backgrounds. And it was a beautiful connection with history to be stood there somewhere of real historical prominence and interest with people who lived through those historical times and moments. Uh, in World War II battles and so forth. And to be there, we were essentially were the last of the last. Yeah. And, you know, I was even then, uh, and that was many, quite some years ago, uh, I was talking to them, they were in their late 80s, early 90s, and I thought, my God, we don't have much time left to get these precious, precious stories before they're lost forever. And that inspiration from talking to them firsthand and connecting with that history really inspired me greatly to want to come home and do something about it. And then when I thought, well, what can I do? I thought, well, I could come back, make it my mission to go all over the United Kingdom as best possible to collect as many stories as possible in both video, photographic and verbal um, formats to capture them and after that hopefully put them into book or books and get them out in the public domain so that we have something there for history, for posterity, for future generations and still to thank them while the few and the becoming fewer all the time are still with us. So that mix of inspiration led to me coming back actually having to finish my beautiful job in tourism it was quite beautiful and uh but we just like you did that now it's probably not the greatest industry to be in right now that's for sure oh do you know you're absolutely right everything for a reason um i just had to come home and take on a different kind of work for an income whilst pursuing the passion to capture the stories in order to do this before it's too late because the rate at which we're losing these precious veterans is mind-boggling it's frightening and that again is behind the inspiration to continue that push now um, because we don't have long left to capture these precious stories. Um, and, and I completely agree with you, Gary, you know, having, having interviewed, um, I haven't actually interviewed any real World War II veterans, but certainly um, present day veterans and what they've done. Um, it's yeah. at my heartstrings and it's ignited a passion within me. 
Why do you think it's so important for us to capture those memories um, now, you know, at this moment? Um, don't you think, for example, the history books would be able to fill us in in, in uh, what happens? I mean, you know, I, I can just ask um, Alexa, you know, what happened in World War II? And she's probably, she'll spout out and, and tell me what happened. Why is it, yeah. why do you think it's so important to capture it from, from their actual... From, because it's one thing hearing it from a machine, it's another thing hearing it from the individuals who are out there, who experienced it, who went through the trauma of it, who went through the passion of it, who went through the sacrifice involved in order to actually win the battles that essentially won the war against one of the greatest evils ever known in certainly in modern history. And while, once again, we have that last link to that history before it disappears, over the, the uh, if you like, over the horizon of living history, that we need to do this. It's so important now for those reasons. We don't have long left to do it. And if people hadn't done it previously, let's look at something, for example, those few people who saw the last of World War I veterans yeah, disappearing. Yeah. And that was only 10 years ago. Harry Patch, the last World War II Tommy, only 10 years ago he died. Um, so it's that quick, and in, in less than 10 years now, we're going to have none of World War II veterans left. I think that, that reason, that's, sorry, go on, sorry. It's such an important point, and I don't think people will actually realise, you know, I, I'm of a generation, you're of a generation where our parents were born in the war or just after the war. Mm. Our parents were directly the, the offspring of those that fought in the war or, or were around in the war. I'm whatever they did and, and literally I guess with us really those the sort of the, the, the I mean the bloodline will continue but the actually yeah. actual memories you know I remember my grandma and grandpa talking about the World War II, World War II. I remember yeah. my grandma reciting poetry from from you know from those times and talking about grandpa when he was in the navy um, and, and you know that had a massive impression on me as, as a girl um, and obviously our children won't have that same won't have that memory that's right and it is um something i focus on and i've written of it in the first book and have done in the second one which i'm nearly completing now is the importance of connecting with history because it is the last chance now and if we don't capture it if people haven't done this previously as i say we've just when they got clued up to it just when they realized the last of World War I people were going, then there'd be nothing there now for anyone to access and see in a living sense of those people and them in their own words and own expressions and, and through their own emotions being able to impart that to us, which you can only get firsthand through what's captured on, on video, etc. If that wasn't there, then, and there were people like me going around doing this, the history quite simply would be lost forever. And that is the essence and importance of doing it while we can, because we haven't got long left. And um, it's beautiful, it's important. 50% of the interviews I do, and it really is 50%, are people who now in their mid to late 90s, wow. But for the first time ever, they've not spoken of it in over seven decades, nearly eight decades. And, and, and because 
that's quite something. And I, you know, I, I read some of your reviews of the book and let, let, the book is called The Last Heroes. It's behind Gary, if anyone, for people that are watching. Yes. <laughs> and, and to be honest, you know, I know it's selling through Amazon and I went and I looked through the review list. Um, and some of the, all of the view re reviews are, are amazing. You know, you, you've got five stars right the way through and I'd really recommend anyone to read it. I haven't read it myself. I'm looking forward to my signed copy of the book, so I, I'll read it. But um, one, a couple of things that really um, touched me is people said that you really got to the heart of the veterans and you were able to open open up to them and they were able to speak to you as though they, they were your friend. Can you tell me a little bit more about how you managed to, to do that? Yeah, certainly. Um, I always try to make sure in order to have and maintain a human connection to not just turn up as a cold call, which you couldn't do anyway, obviously, for, for because you require, um, you know, for privacy law and, and, and permissions and so on. but consciously i want them to be at ease as best they can to make it the best interview possible so part of that prior to actually going to an interview is i have a number of uh, phone conversations and mini interviews with them to actually get together as much information as possible prior to me physically being in front of them and filming them because by then they would have spoken to me a lot, they would have relaxed, we would have had laughter on the phone together, we would have shared moments, there would have was even, you know, very touching moments that, um, of things that have come up. And, and as I say, 50% of the people I, I interview have never been interviewed before, so it's quite important. And were you actually uh, evoking, um, I mean, some of the things that I were reading were that uh, a lot of, of the veterans were actually moved to is when they were talking about seeing their comrades, their friends dying. You know, obviously they lived, they lived through it. They, they're, one, they're one of the survivors. But they might have yeah. been survivors out of what, 2026 20, out of a whole, you know, platoon or whatever. And they watched their friends die. Um, and, and they still remembered it with such detail and emotion. Absolutely, because I remember we touched on this when we spoke on the phone the other day. Um, the way we're, we're hotwired as human beings is that, of course, those things in the long-term memory seem to be more etched in, in the mind and are easier to retrieve, especially if there's something of such a traumatic or, or historical or big nature, um, as opposed to things like, you know, that we had, say, had for breakfast two weeks ago on a Thursday, which you probably wouldn't remember. And when you've seen something as traumatic as, you know, I've interviewed D-Day veterans who, when they were thrown onto the beaches at Normandy, like at the opening scenes of Saving Private Ryan, these kids were 17, 18, mm -hmm. 19 years of age. You wouldn't even have someone who got developed from behind a computer these days at that age. They wouldn't know what it was like to be thrown into machine gun fire, watching the people around them being cut to pieces at, at the age of 18. It's just hard to fathom. And then they were doing it because they knew that they, it was the whole fate of their country and the Western world, and it's not being old dramatic, civilization as we knew it, was hanging in the balance because they were fighting one of the most ultimate evils known in modern history. So they were doing that and doing it as best they could, yet 
as they were doing it, in every living moment, they were seeing horrors around you, the likes of which you and I have never seen unless we switch on the TV set, but then that's different than being there, obviously. And then you haven't got the human connection of the fact that they were seeing their friends being shot, killed, and cut to pieces around them. And, you know, it's only something like that that can really evoke such massive emotions, which, again, uh, are, are things that you don't, you know, you don't do interviews to make people upset, but things come up and come out that have been in the back there of the brain for over seven decades. It's important history. And every time one of our veterans, and it happens every single day, it will happen today while we're speaking right now, we're using them every day. And every time one closes their eyes for the last time, if we don't have that history already captured, a wealth of personal and the nation's history dies with them every time they close their eyes for the last time. It's happening now as we speak. And that's another part of my mission. Capture as much as you can, because once it's gone, it's gone forever. And you, you, you call your mission um, your debt of gratitude project, is that mm. Absolutely, yes, Sonia. Yeah. So tell me about that, why you chose that, um, that title, which is, which is obviously a lovely title, but um, the debt of gratitude. Well, essentially, it's because that's what I believe we owe them. We can only have the freedom to have the conversation we're having right now and any others we have in our every living day because those that came before us fought against an oppression that would have meant if it hadn't won, we wouldn't have the freedoms we have now. So I believe that we absolutely do owe them a debt of gratitude. So it's part of the title of my first book, A Debt of Gratitude to the Last Heroes, because essentially that encapsulates everything, the feeling, the idea, the project. And as a project name, Debt of Gratitude Project, it's because I genuinely believe this is what we owe them. And to tell them that before they go, wonderful. If we can't do that and we capture the stories and it's happened a number of times they've passed away before they've gone into print at least they know their stories have been captured and their families they love the fact that their, their loved ones have had their stories told because in a lot of cases the families themselves didn't even know half of what their loved ones went through and when i was at their homes conducting these interviews with family members sat behind me the family members were moved to tears they didn't realize what dad and granddad had gone to through and the horrors they'd seen. And without that, we wouldn't have the freedom to have these conversations that we have now. You think a lot of, um, think a lot of the veterans had kept a lot of these memories um, bottled up. Um, and, I, and I know speaking to, to veterans today, present day veterans, um, a lot of them have suffered with um, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, mental health issues, depression. Do you think uh, World War II veterans went through the same thing? Obviously, we're living in very different times now. And, you know, back then, I guess, well, even now, you know, men, men particularly don't talk about their emotions certainly as much as women do. Um, do you think they did suffer the same way as, say, veterans do today? I think they suffered, and they probably even suffered more because not taking anything for one second away from what any modern veterans have gone through, because that's equally in its own setting and right as traumatic. Um, but you've got to remember, these people, first of all, 99% of them were conscripts, the 
because the country called them up. If you didn't volunteer, you were going anyway. Yeah. That was it. You were being conscripted, like it or not, whether you were male or female. And so these people went to war, they went through the traumas of war, and they were put there, whether, whether they wanted to or not. And they had to actually put up with, go through and experience everything for that end goal of winning the war. But later, because these were very different times, they were essentially demobbed, given their last paycheck, given a, uh, a, a, some civilian clothes in return for their army clothes, a handshake, thank you, you've done well for your country, now crack on with your life, happy days, on you go. Yeah. That was it. You imagine, there were no support networks, very little was known, only after World War I a bit about what they called shell shock, but it wasn't even uh, after World War II gone into in great detail, more was known, but it wasn't like it is today, you know, there's help out there, there's charities out there, there's support out there in a huge way. Um, like a lot of the veterans said, we just had to get on with it, regardless of what we had, and we just had to learn our own coping mechanisms to put it in the back of our head, because a lot of it, and this is why many, as I say, 50% of who I've interviewed, haven't opened up about it in nearly seven to eight decades, because they put it back there and locked it up, because in a lot of cases, it is far too painful for them to deal with. And the only way they could have brought up families, got on with life and done anything is to have found a way to lock it away um, because that's how they dealt with it. And that PTSD might manifest in other little ways. Yeah. I know people who were in prison camps, the Nazis, you know, prisoner of war camps, and even worse to a certain extent, those who are on the deck railway in Burma on the River Kwai in terrible Japanese camps who came back having lost over half their body weight, having had horrific diseases, been beaten, slave labored. There's no way that cannot affect you. It's just a case of how you deal with it and the fact that the coping mechanisms that you develop and the simple fact that back in the day, those things weren't there to help you. You just had to get on with it, pal. That's what they said. Um, and it comes up again and again in interviews. And it's... They, they are more aware themselves these days. This is why the other half of the interviews I, I do with people who are used to speaking regularly did it actually as their form of dealing with it. Yeah. Because speaking, it was a form of self-therapy. No, and, and, and I agree, and, and speaking to a lot of present-day veterans as well, um, yeah. now on the speaking stage, and you know, they've done amazing things. Not only have they served our country, but they're serving again to instill a very positive attitude and a can-do attitude to people that yeah. they're speaking to going back to their own experiences. And, you know, that, that's what I think is absolutely astounding. They, they sort of I agree with you. I agree. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. And just touching on what you said, because you have interviewed a few, um, what I'd say, I mean, all, all, all veterans should, should be recognized, but you, you've interviewed some very famous veterans. Can you tell me a little bit about those that have been in the spotlight? Yeah, um, well, I'd, first of all, I was very fortunate to have uh, been blessed with knowing uh, and cooperating with Dame Vera Lynn, our national treasure, recently uh, passed. And she, and she only passed, literally, this is so recent, on the 18th of June this year. Yes. And, and yet she stood up and talked about the current pandemic, the COVID pandemic we're going through, and drew a parallel with, obviously, what she 
and you know that that I thought was astounding in itself. Well, once again, that wartime generation has stepped up in a time of national crisis, proving that this is the generation uh, that won World War II, and you can see why. Because you have people like Dame Vera Lynn saying and helping the nation with her words of comfort in a difficult time during the pandemic. You have the Queen stepping up yeah. and even quoting Dame Vera Lynn as yeah. part of her real meet again in her speech. Yeah. You've got Tom Moore who's raised over 30 plus million uh, for and NHS what, charities, blessing. And what an amazing man, you know, there he is, what, late 90s, walking around his garden to raise money for, for yeah, yeah. And, and yet, you know, he served, what, 75 years ago? Ooh. And yet, mm -hmm. and serving again. And, and that to me was, you know, well, I know That's it's it. Touched, you know, our country and, and touched the nation, and, and quite rightly so, he got his his um, his, his knighthood. That, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and it shows the nature, and it shows the kind of people of our generation, which is why they were known as the greatest generation. It wasn't by chance; it's for a reason, and that greatest generation have proved those that are left of them, that they can still stand up, be counted, and regardless of age, be still part of helping this generation in a time of national crisis. Because we as a generation have not known anything like it, but having to pull together in the same way as the wartime generation did, um, which is natural for them to stand up and, and do what they're doing, because they, they've known times that we've never known where, they, as an entire nation, for the benefit and the greater good, had to come together in order to win a war and just survive. And theirs lasted six years. We're only six months plus into our conflict and into our hard time. They were six years, can you imagine? And so, as a result of- years of lockdown, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, and we're, we're six months in, or just over. They were having to do this for six solid years with at times no sight, no end in sight whatsoever in grim times where not only were the people having to put up with um, going to battlefields and seeing horrific things, but even on the home front where we were being bombed relentlessly by the German Air Force and so on, the civilians as well. To give you an idea of some figures, um, I'll give you a quote of three figures. First of all, civilian casualties, World War II, of which the majority were as a result of direct enemy action and bombing. 70,000 approximately died. It's mind-boggling. Who were bombed out of their homes and killed. Of the armed forces, the British armed forces went to war. Sorry, you're just talking about Britain now, aren't you? Yes. Yes, yes. So everyone knows it. Uh, just using that as a focus because we're talking about British veterans, but um, of those that went to war in the armed forces, Army, Navy, Air Force, etc., um, 380,000 did not come back. And in the Air Force alone, in Bomber Command, just one branch of one service, which had uh, one of the highest attrition rates, 55,573 young men 
never came back and died for us. And you That's why we owe them a debt of gratitude. And I, and I know you, you have a case study of, of one of them in, in the book uh, where he actually survived. It, he was doing the, the bombing runs and, and yet he had this, the greatest score history of, of surviving and he kept going and he kept going. Um, who was that? Do, do you remember? Uh, yeah, I have a few actually, but what's interesting, I'll give one example. Johnny Johnson, George yes. Johnny Johnson, the last British Dambuster. God bless him. He is, bless him. The, the last Dambuster, is that right? He's the last. That's absolutely Dan. correct, yes. And I, I ring up Johnny and I speak to him. And just for those that are watching this and thinking, what does the last Dambuster mean? Do you want to give us a little uh, quick uh, pricey on what that meant? Yeah, certainly. So, because um, I am aware there are probably people that are watching this that maybe not quite our age and, and maybe not as familiar of World War II history as, as we are. Well, not a problem, because as a, as a guest historian, I actually do features in different places. So uh, that one for one example. So the Dam's raid was called Operation Chastise. Uh, it was undertaken by 617 Squadron of the British Bomber Command. And it was a special mission to hit three main dams, which provided the electricity in the rural area, the industrial area of northern Germany. And the idea was, if they could cripple or take out the dams, they could have a significant delay or effect on the German capacity to manufacture arms. So um, this was undertaken on the night of the 16th to the 17th of May, 1943. And they managed to knock out two of the three dams and damage the third, which did have quite a significant effect on Germany's capacity to uh, you know, manufacture. Um, it didn't knock out the whole arms industry at all. But on that mission, they had 50% losses. And of all those who survived, our last British Dambuster is George Johnny Johnson, who now lives in Bristol. And he's a wonderful gentleman, very coherent, very switched on, still does public speaking. But it's now become part of military mythology almost. It's that kind of sacred thing, because the Dambusters, were the, were the feature of films over the years. Yes. They were become a stuff of legends, you know? Uh, stuff that kids grew up on as well back in the day, which but now has become of real historical interest as well. So on top of all that, there's Johnny, last British one, and bless him, he's still with us and is, is a fantastic gentleman. I speak to him occasionally on the phone, ring up to see how he's doing. Uh, lovely man, lovely man. He's known for that one mission more than any. But what people don't realize is he actually flew 50 missions, 50 over occupied Europe under the most horrendous uh, anti-aircraft fire, German attacks from, 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 uh, from, night from, from attack aircraft, um, losses, prolific losses of, 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 again, their friends watching burning aircraft going down, knowing their friends were in there dying at that moment. You know, all those things that you'd never imagine. He said once, you know, you'd come home from missions and you'd know how many had died because when you went back to the place where all the beds were and many of the beds were empty, they were your friends that were coming back and that's when it really hit home. It's hard enough for us 
we it must have been I mean, I mean I one friend in our life. Exactly, like you say, you know, for us to lose anybody in our life um is is a is a major yeah. watch that sort of uh your friends die in that that capacity must be must have been horrendous. Um, Gary, you, you absolutely. Am I right in saying um, on on the first book, the last heroes, you had forty three interviews, and you've just actually released a second edition um, to commemorate the eightieth anniversary of the Battle of Britain. That's correct. We're we're very fortunate this year to have a lot of key anniversaries of World War Two, um, and. You know, a number of the coming gone, as you know, VE Day in May, 75 years, VJ Day in August, 75 years. And so when this second edition was coming out, I'll start by showing you the first edition. Yeah. There we are. First edition in hardback. And that's a forward by Dame, that actually has got a forward by Dame Vera Lynn. Yes, it has, yes. I was very fortunate to have Dame Verlin on board with me. She did the forward for the book, Lesser. And um, that forward is still in the new edition, which came out this week to commemorate the 80th anniversary. Um, and essentially, as a parting gift from Dame Verlin, before I hold this one up, the new one, uh, I asked her not long before, obviously not knowing she was going to pass, uh, could she please do me a validation for the front of the second edition because her original forward would still be in it. And she got that to me almost like a, a parting farewell, that's how I see it. It was a lovely kind of thing, emotional thing. It was her saying thank you and goodbye because she's always been passionate about veterans herself. Yes. And there we are. And she's done. Let me put the reading glasses on. <laughs> the forward there, which stays up. A wonderful tribute to our World War II servicemen and women. Very well written, with real compassion and understanding. That was Dame Vera Lynn's parting gift to me, God bless her. And there it is on the front of the new edition, which has come out only this week. Now at this point... So there's the last edition. And there's a new one. So we've got the, the hardback, the softback, the uh, digital download, uh, and we can talk more about the other thing later, which was the, the audio download, but so sorry, Sonia. Well, I was just going to say, at this point, it makes sense. If anyone wants to get a copy of that book, how would they go about that? It's, it's on Amazon, right? And I will put the link to the book in the show notes. But is there a way they could get uh, a special signed copy from you, for example? Absolutely. Uh, my Facebook page is running under exactly the same name as the books. So if you go to a look, search for a Facebook page that says a debt of gratitude to the last heroes, with the full title, a debt of gratitude to the last heroes, and then also put in my name, Gary Brixton Daly, if he doesn't come up immediately, then through that, well. you will get the link to my page. Please connect, make a friend request, and you can request directly from me that we can get a book out to you, which I can personally sign to you if you wish to make it very special, and very personalized to you or anyone else. So it's a lovely thing to have for historical purposes and also makes a great present for anyone else that you know may enjoy such things. That's, that's fantastic. Now, Gary, it can't have been the easiest thing 
um, tracking down the Royal War II, your World War II veterans. Can you tell me some of the challenges that you faced in writing this book? Oh, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite a few. Uh, first of all, when I first started out, of course, I wasn't known. My work wasn't known. There wasn't a book out there. So it, you have I should to just point to out since, since then you've met Prince Charles, so we know you're quite well known now. <laughs> oh yeah, Prince Charles, Theresa May, all the heads of state, uh, yeah, famous World War II folks such as Dame Virilin, George Johnny Johnson, Tom Neal, who was one of the highest uh, Battle of Britain fighter pilot aces, um, Air Commodore Sir Charles, or Charles Clark, I should say who, apart from being shot down in World War II in the Lancaster, survived and immediately was taken to Stalag Luft III, which was a huge camp for airmen in Germany. And then, upon arrival, within a week of arriving, was part of the Great Escape. And then having... <laughs> he's, he's... And what a good film that is! And everyone knows the Great Escape, right? Stephen McCartney. Yeah, yeah. Look that up on Netflix for tomorrow. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, he was helping in that great escape. Uh, after that, he went on, having survived that, he went on to be part of what was called the Long March or the Death March, which was at the end of, of, of World War II, the early part of 1945. The Germans were marching over hundreds of miles in minus 30 degrees from Poland, Czechoslovakia and elsewhere, all their POWs back into Germany to get them away from the the advancing Russians and essentially along the way if anyone was to fall they were left or shot on the spot and they were there just in no winter clothing with virtually no food walking up to hundreds of miles under the most horrific um, conditions and he survived that as well and even up until his in his mid-90s only last year was going back to Poland for the commemoration of it every February, so it'd be really cold still, that time of year in Poland, and taking part in the last part of walking it with modern day RAF personnel to keep the awareness alive mm -hmm. as the last surviving person of the death march. And he was still doing it in his 90s. These are the people I'm honored to meet and be, you know, to acquaint with. Um, and back to your question uh, about how did I find them? Were the challenges? Oh my goodness. So first of all, in, when I wasn't known, um, I was putting out advertisements in the media to get people to come forward who were happy to be interviewed for a book or books. Um, I was going to Broughton House for ex-servicemen, which is very close to where I live now, and beginning interviews there. And then I was contacting veterans-related charities and organizations and associations to see who they could put me in touch with. As my work became more built up and known, and the fact that I was going around interviewing all these veterans, it's now come to the point where, as a published author, and with over 100 interviews behind me, which I've conducted all over the UK, I now have people contacting me, giving me people. <laughs> uh, I mean, you're saying this and you're very humble in what you're doing because you're self-funding this whole project yourself. Um, yeah. That must be a challenge in its own right. That's only part of the challenge. I'm happy you touched on that because um, I've used all my savings 
to boot over £10,000 of my own money, which in all fairness, I knew was something that may happen. Uh, it's the risk I was willing to take in order to actually, in the belief of what I was doing, was to still there, um, in order to undertake this project and keep the Debt of Gratitude project going, because the higher thing is to honor these people. I mean, the mantra which I've written, and it's my mission statement, it's on the back of my book, and it's very important, is that everything I do, it's about veterans, it's for veterans, it's to honor veterans, because to remember is to honor. That's my belief, that's my mission statement, that's my mantra. And Gary, that's, that's wonderful. And I know you also raise money for veteran charities as well. Um, and, and I just want to say, as, as somebody that, that is very passionate about veterans and what they do and how they serve, you're also serving. So I'd, I'd like to say thank you to you. Um, and, you know, you're, you're doing an amazing, amazing job. And it's not finishing there, is it? Tell me about the future. Tell me what you've got in store. Right. Well, with the charities, for example, um, I'm linked to a lot of charities, associations and organisations which are related to uh, veterans and veterans work and supporting veterans in many different ways. Um, for example, on the back of my first book, I have 17 of them who, because of my work with veterans and, and our shared passion um, in helping veterans, they've given their logo validations on the back of my book. And it's as widespread as Dame Vera Lynn's own charity, her children's charity. We've got the Gurkha Peace Foundation, which Joanna Lumley won the Gurkha Rights. I'm involved there. Um, the Sikh Foundation for Sikh and Indian veterans. The Jewish Foundation for ex-servicemen and ex-service women. Polish ex-servicemen. We've got, oh my goodness, the Battle of Britain. We've got uh, recognized black heritage and culture because my work has expanded to represent all of them, and they're all in the book as well. I have purposely made sure I have veterans from England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, those who are in Army, Navy, Air Force, intelligence services, special forces, and home front organizations. I made sure that people, very important, who came thousands of miles to help us in our country's darkest hours of need are also remembered very important from the comments uh, as well right absolutely i've made sure they're there on the front of the book sam king west indian jamaican i've got west indian jamaican veterans in the book i've made sure in there i've got nepalese like the nepalese gurkhas the famous gurkhas i've got sikh indians i've got um uh, polish I've got Canadian veterans. I've even got German Jewish refugees who came to help and ended up in the British Army um, alongside all of our own. And especially at a time like this in a multicultural Britain and where so many things are going on, um, my personal mission from the beginning has been to represent as widely as possible all those veterans from all services, backgrounds and cultures who have come to help and be a part of our country and fighting for our country's freedom and maintaining the democracy and the liberty which we to this very day uh, are benefiting from as a result of their actions. Hence them all being in there and having the backing from all those different kinds of associations and charities. Um, as far as my charity work goes as well, 
this, extended to doing a lot with the Royal British Legion uh, every year as part of their very famous annual um, poppy campaign. I was part of the Manchester part of that on the poppy bus. And in one day, the Manchester side alone, within eight hours, every year we have managed to raise for veterans related um, causes over £30,000 in eight hours every year. Oh, that's done. fantastic. That's great, Gary. That's great. And you're, you're writing a second book, is that right? I am, yeah. Uh, the second book, the follow-up obviously to this, it's got, again, more, more of the veterans' uh, stories in there. I'm projecting, hoping it'll be out by the end of this year. But present climate as it is, let's see what happens. These are strange times we're living in. Let's see what happens. Um, and it will have uh, further, I assume, about 40 veterans plus other veterans-related um, stories and things of interest in there. And the opening story will be of Dame Vera Lynn herself. Um, she did the forward for the first one. It's actually her life story, especially now she's passed, that is the opener for the second one. Again, a, uh, a continuation of uh, continuity of other veterans. Johnny Johnson has done a validation. He's not in his story, he's not in the second book, he's done a validation for my second. Um, and there's a lot more poetry in there as well. Poetry of mine, because another aspect of my tribute to veterans is that I write and perform a lot of veterans-related poetry, uh, remembrance events. The poem, the poem actually in the introduction is, is your poem. Um, and we should say that. So the introduction to the interview um, is you reciting a beautiful poem. Thank you. That's very kind of you, Sonia. Uh, yeah. I've got to say, we've come very close to the end of our interview. But what I'd love to ask you, and this is a, a question I ask to all my guests, and that is, if you were to write a message in a bottle for future generations to find, what would that message be? Well, I was thinking about that when he gave me that question the other day, and essentially it would be this, taking into account, you're talking about future generations, and in this case, the link to past generations, so therefore the continuation of time. So it would be this, Live for the present, think for the future, treasure the past, and remember to honor and thank those who through their sacrifices gave all they had in their past to give you a better present and a better future. Gary, that would be. that's fantastic and that says it all. Thank you so much, you've been a wonderful guest and I can't wait to read your book. Hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, there's a new interview out every Monday. So hit subscribe and like, and you'll get it straight into your inbox.